You know, I'll get into a bit of my story because because his story is in my story, um, and frankly, his story is in your story. Um, uh, and but but I'm gonna kind of do a couple things to just kind of connect a little bit with you. I like to uh, I like to feel like I'm having a conversation when I when I talk when I speak. Um, so that means you can't go to sleep when I'm talking. You know, um, I'll I'll come out and I'll w- wake you up. You know. Corey. Um, so, uh, but, uh, you know, I just, I just, I just want to have it a bit interactive and, but I want to tell you a couple stories just to kind of, I, I actually, I met John Wimber in 1965. So that was a little while ago. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm 60. Uh, <laughs> so I met him when I was 11 years old. And, uh, so I'll get into that later. But so I, I did, I probably, there's probably nobody outside of his family who spent more time with John than I did in various situations, you know, uh, whether it be uh, the worship leader for him or, or I used to, when I was a teenager, I literally used to substitute teach for him in his Bible study. Um, uh, John Wimber one time told me, John Wimber, Mr. Signs and Wonders guy, told me one time when I was 18 years old, he told me that tongues were of the devil. You know, and <laughs> I know, that's what I did. I just looked at him and thought, Nah, that's not right. Um, but uh, because unfortunately they had taught me to read the Bible, and I didn't see anywhere in the Bible that said anything like that. And so, um, but I, but so I, I've spent a lot of time with John. I played golf with John all the time. Um, uh, he, I used to accuse him of spiritual abuse. Um, he was he was actually quite athletic and quite adept at playing golf, and and uh, and he would always, and we always had some big bet like you know. Oatmeal and toast, you know, uh, or porridge and toast, whatever you guys call it. Um, and uh, it's so I would be over a putt, and it was to like win, and he would just use his spiritual authority to abuse me and, and intimidate me, and and uh, he'd go, "Wait a minute," and then he'd bring something up, you know, that would get me all upset, and then I'd miss the putt, and then he thought he was so funny. Um, but uh, and finally, I got him back one time when he was standing over a putt. And, and he was waiting to make a putt. And somebody, I think Todd Hunter was standing there. And I whispered loud enough to Todd. I said, did you tell John yet that they forgot to take the offering Sunday morning? <laughs> it's like, boom, you know, putts <laughs> went by the hole about 10 feet, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so from that time on, I started beating him. But uh, uh, I, I did spend a lot of time with him. I, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. I love him dearly. And um the trajectory of my life changed when I met that man and uh, because he introduced me to the man that could change the trajectory of lives, Jesus. And really from that point on, I've loved Jesus. I've always loved Jesus. And John taught me to love the church. Uh, he told me that when I came to Jesus, I had to also commit to his church and then I also had to commit to his cause. And there was no in-between. And, and really that was the way it was when John was you know, ministering to you or leading you or whatever you want to call it. Um, you didn't, You didn't... You didn't just partake of the part of it that you liked. You know, you partook of the whole thing or nothing at all. And so, uh, consequently, John was able to disciple a lot of people. And the church was, wasn't an audience. The church was an army. And, uh, and it affected, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of people. So, all that's a great privilege. But, you know, in this, uh, in this realm of, of, of walking this thing out, um, we, we have, 
various theologies, various expressions of our gifts and our faith and our understanding. And one of those is um, word of knowledge or prophetic words. And I just want to tell you a couple stories just because they're interesting and 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 funny and, and well, and moving. Um, first of all, um, there was a guy that just died last week named Bob Jones. Um, he was a prophetic guy and He's kind of a kind of a very eccentric guy, and um, I was at a meeting with him. And, and the reason I'm telling you this is sometimes we get we get words and we just think they're really insignificant. They don't make any sense to us at all, and and so we're afraid to we're afraid to share it uh, because we're afraid that we're going to look stupid. And uh, so so I'm at this meeting in Kansas City, um, and there's a couple thousand people, and this guy named Mike Bickle had just spoken and. He was done. He was standing up on a platform. The platform was more about like that. And, um, and he looked down at this guy, Bob Jones. And he says, Bob, do, you know, do you have, do you have anything? And Bob goes, yep. And so Mike goes, well, okay, come on up. And Bob kind of waddles on up and, and, you know, takes the microphone and looks at all the people and just goes, macaroni and cheese. And they turned and he handed the microphone to Mike Bickle. And Mike Bickle stood there in awe as he just walked off the platform and went back down to the seat. And Mike just looks at him and goes, is, is that it? And Bob goes, yep. So like Mike, you know, Mike's a you know, world-class leader and, and speaker and all that. He didn't know what to do. You know, he was like totally stunned. And he, and he, and he just goes, well... I guess we'll just break for lunch. And so, uh, and so they, everybody breaks up and Mike gets off the stage and he's walking out. He's got a bunch of people around him. He usually had appointments after meetings and stuff. So he had some people around him to keep him from getting hooked into long conversations. And, and some lady comes and she starts pushing through the crowd and she goes, I need to talk to Mike. I need to talk to Mike. And they go, well, he's got things he's got to do and all that. And, uh, and she just pressed in. She said, no, I, I have to talk to him. It's about that word. It's about that word. And so Mike stopped and he turned around and he goes, what word? She goes, that word, that word that Bob Jones gave, you know, that was for me. And she's like, what? And so he, he, she goes, she goes, I came to this conference asking God a question. I came seeking an answer from God. She said, three weeks ago, my son committed suicide. And I came to this conference and I asked God, please, please, somehow, some way, tell me that my boy's in heaven. Mike's looking at her and goes, yeah. And she goes, my son drove truck for Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. God loves us. God's willing to pick out a woman out of 2,000 who's desperate to hear from him. And, 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 and a, a guy that was cared so little about what anybody else thought, he'd just get up there and say, macaroni and cheese. You'd have to put a gun to my head uh, to get me to do something like that. Uh, I just I couldn't believe it. So, so, so sometimes these insignificant things uh, are way more significant than you could ever imagine, you know. And uh, and I'm gonna tell you another little story because I think it's a faith faith building story, and it's about my brother in law. My brother in law is you know like this. He's this big guy, and he's a police officer, and um, very kind guy. 
And um, they, my sister and him were in church one Sunday, and my sister leaned over to him and said, I invited Bob and Sue Kale um, over for dinner this week. And my brother-in-law didn't say a word. He just stood up in the middle of the service, and he walked out. And then after the service, she couldn't find him. You know, there wasn't, weren't cell phones at that time. And he, he had got up and he had walked home. It was, home was 11 miles away. And, and then when she got home, he wouldn't speak to her. And so they didn't talk about this for, for two weeks. And finally, um, she, he talked to her and she said, what, what is wrong? What did I do? And she said, he said, if Bob and Sue come over for dinner, I'll have to pray. And I can't pray in front of people. I don't know how to. And so she was like, you know, really heartbroken for him. So weeks later, weeks pass, and he'd, he'd suffered from severe headaches and things like that. And they were in church. And you know how sometimes you're in a church meeting and there's a lot of people and somebody has a word of knowledge and it's like somebody's got a headache. And in your heart, if you, if everybody really knew what, if they had one of those big bubbles above your head and everybody knew what you were really thinking, you know, Give me a, what would you say? You'd say, crikey. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, who doesn't have a headache, you know? Uh, and you'd kind of just, you kind of dismiss it as being just insignificant and not really mattering. Well, my, my brother-in-law was sitting there and my sister just starts, you know, bugging him and saying, you need to go forward for this. And he, you know, big giant guy stands out, you know, did not want to go forward, but my sister can be pretty powerful. She, uh, she's, she can put a face on that just make you just stop a jetliner, you know. Um, so she, so she got him to get up and go front. Well, he, when he went up front, you know, there were a group of people that gathered around him and began to pray for him. And all of a sudden he just got hammered and he started weeping and weeping, and weeping, and, you know, for a shy guy making a spectacle of himself, you know, I mean, he just, just could not control it, and it just all came out, and so, you know, it ended, and during the next couple of weeks, he, he just continued to just cry all the time at the drop of a hat, that was very inconspicuous, that was, that was, if you, <laughs> not finished yet, just see, duck, duck a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I have kids, and, and I've, I've done that to them my whole life. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I drop them off at school and go, bye, babies, bye. And they just go, that's not my dad. That's, uh, my neighbor dropped me off. Um, so anyway, the next two weeks, my brother-in-law cries and cries and cries. And, and, but over the next weeks and months, he starts a Bible study at the police station with other officers. And guys start coming to Christ. He would get assigned to the juvenile detention center, and he would—they'd only keep you on assignment there for three months at a time because it's such a hard job. And he would volunteer to go multiple times, and he would hand out Bibles to the to the parents, and he would ask if he could pray with their children, and 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 just he just he just was changed, transformed by a silly word of knowledge, by a silly insignificant word of knowledge for a headache which we would all just dismiss as, as being, you know, not all that impressive. And his life has changed. If we're together in, in any sort of family gathering, the last person you want in that room to pray is him. Because he will pray for 
all seven billion people on this planet one at a time. You know, I mean, I mean, you just, you, if he's going to pray, you just start warming the food up, reheating the food because, because he's never going to stop, you know. And so it's just, it's just amazing what God does. And it's amazing how he does it and how sometimes we just get a little too callous, a little too know-it-all-ish. And, 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 and God just goes, Hey, I can do it any way I want. And, uh, and in those things, I just think he demonstrates his concern and his care for us. Now, I'm going to tell you my story tonight because I know I'm going to be with you several times. And this will give you a backdrop and a little bit. And there'll also be, there'll also be lessons in it. And the big lesson in it, the big punchline lesson in it is that what we do is not who we are. What we do is not who we are. Who we are is, is whose we belong to. I'm a child of God, therefore I have value. Now the problem is, even though I became a Christian in 1965, and um, I grew up in a very, very, the 11 years I had at home there were very violent. My dad was very, very violent. My dad beat my mother up and my sisters up all the time. Um, I was left to, my, my dad was gone by the time I was seven, and my mom basically was taking care of me, but she was never around because she had to work day and night, day and night, day and night just to pay the bills. Um, and so I was out on the streets. You know, I was eight, nine, ten years old. And I'm just out on the streets. I'm hanging out with all the teenagers and all that stuff. And as a, as a little boy, I saw things I should have never seen, and I experienced things I should never experience, and it made me, it made me an ugly, twisted little boy. I was very angry, very violent, um, and it wasn't a good thing. And so that's kind of how my life was going. And, and if I would have stayed like that, it would have been, it wouldn't have been long where I'd have been really deep. I would have been in juvenile detention center myself. Um, so anyway, my sisters, you know, had a big fight one night. My two older sisters, I have four older sisters. My two older sisters had this monstrous fight. I mean, they are just going for it. I mean, I smiled because we were very entertained by it. You know, we shouldn't have been, but we were. Um, uh, so they got this big fight, and one of my sisters actually had to crawl out the bedroom window, you know, and take her car and leave. Or, you know, the other one would have probably just pummeled her. And so she left, and she, you know, a couple days later, she calls the house, and she asks if my other sister was home. And I said, no. And so she came to the house, and she got her stuff. And she was moving out. I said, well, where are you going to go? And she goes, I'm moving to this place, you know, called Yorba Linda. It's just a little city about 20 miles uh, east of us. And so she said, when I get settled in, I'll come get you, and you can come spend the night and stuff. Because she was my oldest sister, and she was like my surrogate mother. So she, um, she one day she calls, and, and she says she's going to pick me up. And so she picks me up on a, early on a Saturday morning. And she said, we're going to go to a park, to Irvine Park. It was a park uh, that was some miles from us. I'd never actually, I'd, I'd never been to a park. I'd never been anywhere. Um, I'd never had, I, as a, as a child growing up, I never had even had a meal with my entire family ever. Um, the only time I, we, one time I was around the table with my sisters and my dad, and I remember reaching to grab something, I guess evidently prematurely, and he just stuck a fork in my hand, you know. So it wasn't a warm and fuzzy environment. I say, I always, I always, uh, tell people that I was raised by wolves. Um, and, uh, it was, it was, you know, I was just on my own. So anyway, um, so she invites me 
you know, she picks me up, and we're going to go to a park. And I thought that was pretty awesome, you know, because uh, I'd never done that before. And so, but when we start driving up, it's, it becomes apparent that, that people know her. And they're waving to her. And they're smiling. And they're happy. And, and they're yelling out her name. We're over here, Candy. We're over here. And, and I'm kind of like, who are those people? And she goes, oh, they're from my church. I'm like, church? You know, what do you mean? You know, we'd been, we'd been semi-raised Catholic, you know, and, um, but we'd never been to any sort of a church that outside of that. And so, but, uh, evidently she had been sneaking around. Um, so anyway, so she gets with this group of people and, and, and I get out of the car and they're all glad to see her and they're hugging her and they're, you know, you know, just welcoming her and knowing who's this and who's this little guy. And, and I'm like, get away from me, you weirdos. Um, I was so, I was, I just, I just wanted to get out of there. I just wanted to get away from them, but I wasn't able to. And long story short, I went through that whole ordeal with, with being with them all day and, and they were so embarrassing to me. They would, you know, they'd do the sack race, you know, where they, you know, they, you know, and then roll potatoes on the ground with her nose. And, and you would have thought it was Olympic Games. They were so excited. And I was so embarrassed. Um, and so, uh, so we got through that and then that was okay. And I spent the night at her house. The next morning she gets up and she starts getting ready, um, for church and, and says, we're going to go to church. I'm like, what? And she goes, yeah, we're going to go to church. And I said, well, I don't, I don't, you know, and I didn't have, the only thing I had, was a T-shirt similar to this, but it said, "Just pick a beer name, you know, an Australian beer's name, you know." Okay, it said, "Whatever that name you just said is for breakfast for champions," you know. So we're going to go to a little Quaker church, and I've got this shirt that names this beer and says it's a breakfast of champions. Actually, it was on the back. And so what she did is she gave me one of her blouses. And you know how blouses are. They're not like men's shirts. They're very thin, and you can see through it. So people could see that through the back of my shirt. So we go to church, and it's this little group of people, and, and about a couple, well, maybe a couple hundred people. And, and there's a man up front, and he is waving his hands, you know. You know, and, and he's singing about Beulah land and, and uh, feasting on the manna at the table set for me. And he's talking about being covered in the blood. And I am just, I absolutely lost it. I started giggling uncontrollably. And the more I tried to control it, the more I laughed. You know, and then I'm, then I'm making noises that you shouldn't be making in church. And, you know, <laughs> you know I was just lost it. Now, my poor sisters probably thought, you know, it was one thing to take him somewhere out in the open, another thing to bring him in civilization, you know. Um, it was just crazy. And, and I remember sitting there, and, and I'm giggling uncontrollably, and I look over, and I look over to here, and there's a man staring at me. But he's staring at me, he's got this twinkle in his eye and this little grin, and he's staring at me, and it was John Wimber. And I met him that day and, and, you know, came, you know, to Christ very quickly after that. A couple of weeks later, um, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I was laying in my bed. I mean, I didn't know anything. But I'm laying in my bed at 1413 South Shawnee in Santa Ana, California. And I'm laying there and I look at my ceiling and I just said, God, you take my life. You know, Jesus, you can have my life. And whatever happened to me was, I'm 11 years old, remember, and whatever happened to me, my mom was so impressed by it, she was so caught by it, 
that she sold our house and moved us to Yorba Linda so I could be by the church. Now, she would never darken the door of the church. And she always spoke terribly about John Wimber for all my life. You know, almost all my life. And, uh, but, but she wanted me to, because she saw what happened to me, and she saw the change, and she just, so she did whatever she could to get me close to that place. Now, I'll jump ahead and just tell you this. Um, years later, I took the church from John. And at this point, my mom was 74 years old. And um, so one Sunday morning, um, I'm, I'm preaching, and I give a call for people to come to Christ. And I didn't know she was there. And all of a sudden, my mom's walking down the center aisle. And I'm going, I'm going, oh my gosh. I, did, I didn't not know what to do. You know, I'm looking for, I, I don't want any weird prayer team people that are going to push my mom down, you know, praying for her, you know. So I'm looking around for my sisters, and I'm looking around for somebody to protect my mother, you know. And uh, But she comes down, and she receives Jesus. Now, uh, this before this, I hated to be around her. She was so bitter and so angry and so hostile and it was just miserable to be around her and I and I just dreaded the day she died because I knew my sisters would force me to do the service you know and 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 I'm like what do I say you know she's bitter now she's dead let's go home you know I mean um it was like I was like what do I do well it was three years later that she died suddenly of a brain hemorrhage and um on her way to work, she was still waitressing at 77 years old. Um, and, uh, and, and when we had the service, there were probably 200 people there. And there were all kinds of people that would stand up and tell stories about her. And it was just awesome. You know, here she is, 74 years old, comes to Jesus, and her life changes. Pretty fun. That was free. That wasn't even part of the story. Um, so anyway, fast forward. Okay, 1965, I received Jesus. From 1965 to 1997, it was upward and onward for me, really. Um, I was very involved in every sort of ministry, you know, Sunday school teaching, youth leading. Uh, I got to teach, and then eventually, uh, when the when the vineyard started, well, it wasn't the vineyard. It was a, it was just a little group. It wasn't even church plant. There was a little group of people that met at my sister's house, and um, um, we'd been in the church now for about 10 years together. Uh, all of them were about 10 years older than me, um, but I hung out with them all the time. And so we gathered at my sister's house one night after church and just, I don't even know why we gathered. All I know is that Carol Wimber was there and she was holding court. And she was talking about just her her heart was broken and how she, you know, how she just, had she had been really, really harsh on anybody who was filled with the Holy Spirit in the church. She just drove them out. You know, if she found out somebody spoke in tongues, she just made sure that they were out. Uh, she was tough. She was really tough. And, uh, but she had, the Lord had convicted her and brought, you know, just, she was repentant. And she was just talking about how desperate she was for God and how hungry she was for God. And she was, and it was resonating with all of us. Now we all were Christians. We all served the Lord. We'd all, I had led all kinds of people to Christ. We'd done, we served and we'd served and we served and we did all this stuff. But at this point we found out we were just burnt out and empty and dry and just, and at our, at our end. And I didn't realize this is, this is the truth. 
I didn't realize until like two or three nights ago when I was talking that we were probably like the people in Acts who had just been baptized into Jesus. They just had been introduced to Jesus. They only knew Jesus, but they hadn't known the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what we were. We were a group of people that were serving the Lord and serving the church, but we're doing it under our own power. And, and, and we ended up just, just dry and empty and judgmental and pharisaical. You know, once we, we started meeting together, um, we were just doing it spontaneously. And then the next week they asked me to bring my guitar and more people came, more people came, more people came. All we did is we sang songs. We didn't worship. It wasn't even called worship then. Um, we sang songs and then, um, we, we broke up in groups and we prayed for each other. And you could only ask for prayer for yourself. And we couldn't talk about the church. And nobody taught. And the reason nobody taught is because nobody wanted to listen to anybody in, else in that room. We'd been around each other 10 years, and we, we heard all that we ever wanted to hear from each other. And, uh, and so all we did is worship and pray, worship and pray, worship and pray. So one time, we're singing these songs. And by this time, John has come along, and there's probably 40 or 50 people there. We're singing these songs, and, and we used to sing a lot of them. You know, when John first came, he hated it. Uh, he, he just goes, why do you sing so much? You know, and we didn't know why we sang. We, we didn't know why we were doing anything. We just couldn't help for, but to get together. And it just grew and grew. I mean, eventually there were 115 people in my sister's little house. I mean, there were people back in the hallways or under tables. I would lead worship. I would stand against a wall and lead worship. And th this would be people. And there would be people, 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 people. And when I was done doing it, I'd just slide down the wall. Now, thank God I wasn't 60 then, because I would have never got back up. Um, but back then, I was young enough to do that. And uh, so I just slid down the wall, and, and we just went on with the meeting. So one night, we're singing, and we're singing this little chorus. And we didn't have the songs that we have today to sing. <laughs> um, and we're singing this little chorus. Praise you, Father. Bless you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here, being here, Lord. And we just were singing it. And we're singing it. And all of a sudden, whoosh. I mean, just the air got thick. And everyone knew it at the same time. And it was like you just you didn't want to look up. You didn't want to look around. You didn't want to do anything. And and this was before the days of renewal or anything. Back in those, I mean, nobody in our group at that time um, um, even raised their hands during worship. I mean, the most anybody would do is maybe if they didn't think anybody could see them, is they'd flip them over in their lap, you know, so that so that nobody saw them because only the charismaniacs did this stuff, you know, and we knew what those people were. Um, so uh, so we we just it just but but the Lord was there, and His presence was there, and it was like. This is it. This is it. This is it. And we didn't want to breathe. We didn't want to, you know. But from that moment on, from that week forward, our singing songs became worship. We just connected with God, and it was the most glorious and wonderful thing. And I got to be a part of that. I was probably 22, 23 years old at that time. As that thing swept up and turned into really a worldwide movement and, and uh, something that affected the world all over, I, I was at the crest of that wave. You know, my songs were being sung all over the world. Um, um, I was I was 
teaching all over the world. I was doing workshops. I was, you know, I, all this visibility, all this notoriety. I got married. Um, we started having kids. I planted churches. I oversaw church plants. I, you know, I just had all this stuff. And eventually I came back to Anaheim, um, where John was and, and to help him and assist him. And then eventually I took the church from him. So all these years, it was just upward and onward, you know, notoriety, influence, you know, um, just all this stuff. And, um, but you know what? I'm just going to be honest with you. I never believed I belonged. I never thought I should have been in that position. I just, I felt like I was a fraud. I felt like I was a fake. I felt like, I felt like any minute somebody was going to lift up the curtain and, and they'd know the truth. And um, and so what I was doing, what was happening in me, is all these things. God, you know, God blessing me, God giving me favor, God giving me position, God giving me influence. I just tried to, I tried to grab a hold of it, and I tried to hang on to it, and I tried to convince myself, no, I, belong. you belong. You know, you're, you're supposed to be here. This is what God wants. And, and so I was using the gifts of God and the favor of God and the grace of God to prop myself up, to make, to convince myself that I, I, I was supposed to be a part of this thing and that I was, I was where, you know, God wanted me. And, um, and then, you know, 1990, late 94, God, John gave me the church and it was just, you know, it was a big, we had owed $18 million in like a year. It was due, and you know the church had grown, and there was, there was factions in it, and it was difficult. We never had had a good marriage, and, and somehow we convinced ourselves that taking this church would help our marriage. Um, we weren't the brightest people on earth, um, and uh, so I mean, in 1997, by 97, it just blew apart. I just, I just had a basically a nervous breakdown. I was popping pills like crazy, and I was, I, mean, I was doing it right in front of everybody. You know, I was being taken away in ambulances. Uh, I was just losing it. My wife was sick of me. Uh, she left me. Um, and just everything blew apart. And every, and everybody just backed away, you know, and just, it was just, it was just, I, I didn't, and I to this day don't totally understand it, but it was, I'll tell you what, it was, it was rough. It was really rough to, to go from this 11 year old boy who knew Jesus and then all this stuff and then all of a sudden everybody gone. Everybody gone. And, uh, it was, it was a, it was a tough, difficult time. My wife and I were separated for two years. We got back together. Uh, we continued in counseling for four years, moved up to Colorado. And in, in Colorado, there were some events that took place uh, attached to the vineyard. And still my desire, I'd, I'd gone through a restoration process, but it wasn't recognized. And I just, it was just a messy thing. In my heart, I wanted, I wanted, to be part of it. I, I, I didn't understand why I was no longer part of it. You know, I didn't understand the violent reaction. And I just, I just, it was just, and I was so depressed and I was so caught up by it yeah, because that was my identity. You know, that was, that was who I was and it was all gone. And so my wife eventually got just sick of it and sick of my depression, sick of the whole thing. And, and she just said, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And, uh, and I was so depressed. And I was just so despondent in such a dark hole that I just said, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. No problem. 
And so at that point, we separated in 2004, and, and uh, it was a very devastating and difficult time. I have six children um, I, who I adore, um, and it was just, I don't know, it was just tough. And, and whenever I tell this part of the story, inevitably somebody will come to me and, and say, you know, you know, God hates divorce. And I'd go, and I always go, well, so do I. It'll be a loss until the day I die. Uh, divorce is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, I see, I mean, now we have the best situation that you could in that circumstance. We, well, I just had my 60th birthday. My ex-wife was there. All my kids were there. You know, we just did a family thing, just all of us. We did Christmas together. We've done that for years. Um, we've, we've always, her and I, that's the one thing we've done really right, um, is we've never exposed our kids to our stuff. And so we've always done the, all the stuff together. And so that's, that's a positive thing. Um, and then on my 60th birthday, again, she was sitting next to me as I talked to my kids, you know, who I had to, like, prepare for like two months ahead of time so that they wouldn't just roll their eyeballs the whole time. And I said, I just need three minutes, just three flipping minutes, okay, of your undivided attention without you rolling your eyes, without you looking at each other and smirking, without any of that. I just need you to listen to me for three minutes. And so in those three minutes, I just told them, I said, I, I you know, I was honest with them that I was not a good husband to your mother. And, and I regret that terribly and so I shared that with him, and I said, but I do know this, that throughout your life, you, you've never went a day in your life without knowing my love for you. I, you know, I held him, I loved him, I, I told him, I, you know, I never, my dad never told me he loved me, my mother never told me she loved me, I never, I never, I never had a day in my life where a mother or a father said, I love you. And so I know that their, their situation was better than mine. I loved him. If my if my 21 year old was here today, he'd be sitting right next to me. He'd be cuddling with me. You know, he's so affectionate, so loving, so and it's just it's just you know it's the best thing ever. You know, um, they're not all like that. <laughs> um, but this night they were on their best behavior. They really were. You could tell that they had talked to each other and they they were going to make sure that this was a wonderful night for me. And the last thing I said to him though is this: I said, "Here's another thing your mother and I did right." Each one of you, we took each one of you and we dedicated you to the Lord. And so you are marked by God and you are his possession. And uh, you're going to have to work that out. But I know this, we stood before our friends and, and family and before the Lord and we dedicated you and you're marked for him. And, uh, and my one son, you know, they all kind of just, they, they endured it. Um, and, uh, and then my one, when I was done, my one 21-year-old son just goes, that was awesome. And, uh, and which, of course, warmed my heart. So that's the marriage garbage thing. I mean, it's a painful, horrible thing. And I would recommend that you do anything you can to, to find a way for it to work because it's, it's, just, it's just a painful, painful, painful thing. Um, but, but... God still is able to redeem, and He does. So, so I'm so now I'm I'm now I'm separated from my wife. It's Christmas time. 
my kids and her leave Colorado for, for to go to her father's house in Southern California. And I'm, I'm left alone. And I don't have any friends in the area. Um, I'm just alone. And it's Christmas Eve day. You know, for, for 25 years, we'd gone to her father's house as a family on Christmas Eve day. Now they were there. And I was sitting alone. Then Christmas Day comes and goes. Then the next day is my birthday. And, and, it, and it comes. And I, I've not heard from anybody on the planet. And, uh, you know, when I turned 40 years old, there was a, a birthday party held for me with two, a black tie dinner with 250 people at this fancy restaurant. And it was a big roast, you know, and, you know, where they all made fun of me and all that stuff. 250 people, you know. On my, my, on my 50th birthday, we could have had my birthday party in our bathroom. Um, that's how many people would have showed up. And now I was utterly and completely alone. You know, this, this guy who had just been the golden boy, I was sitting there in my apartment, little studio apartment, and I was alone, and I didn't even bother to turn the lights on. So I'm sitting there, and um, as I'm sitting there, I've just kind of come to my end, and I said, Lord, I said, uh, everything's gone. Everything's gone. Everything. It's all gone. And um, I don't know what to do. And, I, you know, at that point, I'm thinking of, you know, ending my life because it just doesn't, you know, I'm like, you know, if my kids, if my kids don't even care, then, then I, I have nothing. I have nothing to live for. And so I'm sitting there in the darkness and on, 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 on my birthday and, um, it's late in the afternoon. It's dark. And uh, I felt, all of a sudden, I'm, I felt somebody in the room, you know. And it kind of scared me. And, uh, and then I felt like a hand on my knee. And it was just as if Jesus was kneeling before me. And this is what I love about Jesus. I, I love Jesus so much. I can't, I cannot read about Jesus and not just get, torn up. I see the way he treated the woman at the well. I see the way he treated Zacchaeus. I treated, see the way he treated the woman caught in adultery. And I just, I just, I just go, that's God's heart. That's who God is. You know, when you see all that, Jesus shows us the father's heart. And so, so, and he humbles himself, you know, with the woman caught in adultery, he got down on it, on her level. She'd been thrown down before him. You know, they wanted to stone her, and Jesus gets down on the ground with her. And that's what he does. He gets down on the ground with us. That's what he did when he came from heaven to earth. He got down on the ground with us so that we could experience who he is and that we could experience the reality of who the Father is. So anyway, he, he puts his hand on my knee and he says... You know, I'm here. And so I'm just rocking like I'm rocking now. And then he said, and I'm enough. And I knew in that moment that that was absolutely, completely, and totally true. Even if I'd lost everything else, he was still there. Even if I lost my children, he was still there. 
you know, every he was still there, and he would be there with me. And somehow, some way, that got me through. And then, not long after that, golly, I hate electronics. Um, uh, not long after that, um, well, there's that experience. That's what I was going to say before I distracted myself. Um, that was a remarkable, stunning, wonderful experience that I had needed. It was a desperate moment, and I needed him to show up, and he did. And, but you know what? That was, that wasn't the end. That was the beginning. You know, God shows up and he does this stuff, but then we have to walk it out and live it out. So shortly after that, I moved from Colorado, the most gut-wrenching thing I'd ever done in my life. But I had to go there to work, to pay, to help my kids. And, um, and Sonia, actually, I wanted to help her too. Um, and so I moved down there and started working down there in the Southern California desert where it gets to be 125 degrees. And I'm down there painting. I'm down there sanding beams. I'm down there just, just killing myself, you know. Um, but God was using it to provide for my family. And I was down there. I had disconnected from the church. I had known that I was called to ministry my, since I was, actually since I was five. Um, and, um, but, but I was done. I was done. It was over. The only thing that mattered to me is that I take care of my kids. And so I rented a little room and a little house with this little couple and their kids. And, and um, my only desire in life at that time, when I got home from work, um, I would go to like McDonald's. And in America, they have a thing called the dollar menu. And I'd go eat off the dollar menu. So dinner would cost me 2 or $3 because I, I just wanted to have all I could to send back home. And, um, and then when I got to that door, I'm looking at that front door and I'm kind of, kind of casing it out. And, and I'm just, because I just, all I wanted to do is get through that door and into my bedroom without any human contact, without anybody saying, Oh, how was your day? And, you know, or anything. I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I just had cut myself off from everybody and everything. And I just was isolated. I got up and I went to work. I got up and get to work. So one day, and one day, and, and by the way, I, I did that for quite some time, and, and I realized later that isolation never does you any good. You know, getting away and being alone with the Lord, that's one thing, but isolating and cutting yourself off from everybody and everything doesn't heal anything. It's not a solution. We feel compelled to, but it's, it's the wrong compulsion. So anyway, my son, the one I talked to you about, called me one day and he said that this guy, Mike, was looking for me. And, and I, this Mike guy had been in our church in 1978. Actually, I just got a, a Facebook message from him today. Um, and uh, so Mike called me, and so I called him back. And he just, I hadn't seen him in 16 years. And we had known him back in 78, and we did all kinds of stuff together as couples and had our first kids together, the whole thing. So, so Mike calls me, and... Um, and, and says, well, where are you now? And I said, well, I told him where I was in Southern California. He goes, that's where we live. And I said, where? And he told me where we lived. It was like a mile away. And so he says, come, come, come on over. Come to our house. Come to dinner tomorrow night. So I go to their house for dinner, and it's, it's a gated community. It's got a guard and everything. And I drive in. Because when I'd known Mike, he and I, you know, fought over the, you know, who owed two cents extra at breakfast, you know. Uh, but all of a sudden, Evidently, in the 16 years that we'd been away from each other, things had changed. 
So I pull in and, and I see them and they welcome me and we went out to dinner and we hung out a little bit and then they said, well, come on over again th- tomorrow night. Now, they were, in, they were the most comfortable people in the world for me. So they were the perfect people and they just, and they, they loved me so much and they were so concerned and, and, but they had been disconnected from the church. So we sat together and we talked and the, the, there's, well, there was one really, really incredible thing about them is they had 1200 bottles of wine. Yeah, not not once we were done. There were twelve hundred bottles of wine on the wall. Um, uh, so so we would go. I would go over there. We would go to dinner, really nice dinner, really really nice dinner, and then would go back and would sit out on their patio and would drink wine and would tell our stories. And would I'd tell my story. They'd tell the. Would cry and would laugh. And and actually one night, you know, and this went on night after night after night after night. And so one night, Karen brought a little red ball. And, and we go, what's that? And she goes, you have to have the red ball to talk. And um, because because we were all just talking about ourselves, you know, constantly. And so we would grab the ball from each other and go, you're done. It's my turn to talk about me, you know. And uh, so we just did, oh, we were just having the best time ever. One time I told Mike, I said, you know what? You guys can't keep taking me out. Because, I mean, these were very expensive dinners. And I said, I'll just come and meet you afterwards and stuff. And, and he says, okay. He said, did I tell you how much my company made last year? And I said, no, no. And he says, well, I think, he goes, I'm not, I don't have the exact number, but I think it was $44 million. And I said, well, we need to start going to some nicer places. You know, <laughs> that's the case, you know. So, 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 so we're, we're having the time of our life. And, um, and it was really good. It was really healing. And then they just like, all of a sudden, screeching the halt one night, they said, we should go to church. I thought, you know, we're cutting you off. You're done. You know, I mean, why would you? Why? This is church. We're having church right here. We're two or more. We're having communion every night. You know, uh, you know, this is awesome. This is the best thing ever. They go, no, no, let's let's go to church. And so they said, you know, just find someplace. So I found the most benign, harmless, you know, church didn't didn't know probably how to spell jesus name and um and so i because i didn't want to go any place where anything could happen um and so we go to this little church and 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 it's just 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 hideous um we get in it's a little room and it's dark and there's a guy up there with a microphone like this and he's older than dirt and, and he's got music playing in the background off of some stereo thing terrible tracks and he's singing like Frank Sinatra and there's like it's it's like it's their worship time and I am sitting in my chair paralyzed in horror just looking down at the floor I just didn't want to look up I just thought this this is not happening um, why would anybody want to do this um, so so then the pastor got up and he wasn't any better and then so we're leaving and I'm thinking well that that took care of that you know and so they go so what do you think I said it was awful. And they go, we liked it. And I'm like, I'm like, how could you like that? They go, no, we liked it. Let's go again next week. And I'm like, they had me captive. They had 1200 bottles of wine, you know, um, and, and you know, so, so I, I saw like, okay, you know, so we went back the next week and then, then that day, you know, he lived on a country club and we're playing golf and on the 10th tee, I'll never forget. He goes, he goes, why don't you lead worship at that church? 
I'm like, well, uh, nobody's asked me. Uh, I don't even go to that church. I mean, that's just not how it works, Mike. You just don't come in and go, oh, I'll lead worship. And so, uh, so like a couple, three days later, and now I know what happened in retrospect, um, the pastor of the church calls me and asks me if I would be willing to lead worship. And I said, no, no, thank you. Um, and he said, we'll, we'll pay you. And I said, uh, how much? <laughs> and, uh, and he said, he said an amount. And I said, no, I don't think so. And, uh, and so then my friend calls me. This is the absolute truth. I'm not even exaggerating. Um, my friend calls me a couple days later, and he says, hey, has that pastor ever talked to you? And da 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 And I said, yeah, he wanted me to lead worship. He goes, really? He goes, that's awesome. I said, I turned him down. He goes, why? He goes, I said, it just wasn't enough money. I can make more money painting. And, and he, goes, uh, he goes, well, whatever he offered you, we'll double it. And I said, I'm in. And so I called the pastor, and I said, you know, okay, I'll do it. And uh, I said, but I don't want to know any of your people. I don't, want to, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just going to come in, and I'll lead worship, and I'll get a check, and I'll leave. I said, I'm, 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 total, I'm going to be a total mercenary. I want nothing to do with any of this. And so I get up there, you know, and I hadn't led worship on a consistent basis for 20 years. So I get up there, and, I, and it's, they're, all, they're all quite old, you know. And, uh, and so I get up there just with my guitar, and I'm, and I, and I'm, and I'm attempting to lead worship. And I would I would do a song, and they would stare at me. And I'm you know every once in a while I'd peek and I go oh god you know and so I just keep going you know and then and then um and then then when I was done with the song they'd clap and I'd go I'm going this isn't enough money um so. So I kept doing it, and pretty soon this girl, you know, said, hey, if I learn to play bass, can I play bass? And I said, hey, why not, you know? And then this, uh, she said, well, I've got a friend who's got a son who plays the piano and, and the guitar. Can he come? And I said, sure. And so, so he comes and plays for me, and he played well. And so I said, no problem. She goes, and then she tells me later, well, you know, he's an atheist. I said, what do I care? You know, I'm getting paid. You get paid whether he's an atheist or not an atheist, you know? And so um, so he starts playing with us, and then before you know it, we have quite a worship team, you know? Uh, it was really, actually really good. And they were, like, engaged and standing. And I, the kid shows up with his electric guitar one morning, and he, he's got the amp. It's a little room. He's got his amp, and it's facing right at these people, these older people. And, um, and I'm thinking, oh, this isn't going to be good. You know, this is going to be bad. We get done. And the little ladies come and they go, oh, he's so wonderful. You need to have him turn it up, though. <laughs> Who are you people? You know, and as I got to know them over time and we moved you know, to a bigger place and the worship team really got good and, and they were engaged and all that, I would, and then, and, and by the way, I'm like, I'm getting sucked in like an undertow. I mean, it's like I've gotten myself in quicksand. I didn't want anything to do with these people. I didn't want to know these people. And now I'm, now I'm, I'm, I'm preaching. I'm leading small groups. I'm overseeing, uh, outreach. I'm leading worship. Um, I'm, I'm just like so flipping in, you know, and I didn't want to be in. People would come to me and tell me, you know, the Lord's not done with you yet. And I said, you know, that's not good news. You know, I'm, because I'm done. I'm done. It's over. I don't want to do that anymore. I just want to take care of my kids. And so, uh, so, so one day I'm talking, I, I'm up front and I'm talking to them. And I said, you know, 
by this time I'm reconnecting with some other people and, and Mike and Karen are re really connected with the church and the whole thing. And, and, and one day I get up and I said, you know, I tell my friends about you. And they kind of look at me like, hmm? And I go, I tell them about you. And, uh, and you know what? You know what they say? They say this isn't a real church. And they're all very, very curious. I said, you know what I tell them? I tell them that you never complain. I tell them that you never gossip. And they tell me, well, that's not a church. So I'd tease them. And they really were a lovely group of people. And, and there, here's what's amazing. It was the perfect place for me to reenter. Because they had no standards whatsoever. They didn't know if I, they didn't know what the vineyard was. They didn't know who John Wimber was. They didn't know if I was an axe murderer. They didn't know anything. They didn't care. You know, and so I just show up and I just start leading worship. Next thing you know, I'm on their staff and the whole thing. They never even asked me a question. I mean, they had no standards. So it was like, I can fit in here. And uh, so so then after a while, you know, it, it got to a point where it's like, you know, all right, now that I'm back in and now that we're doing this, you know, it would be nice if Jesus was here and it would be nice if, if somebody believed in the Holy Spirit. It would be nice if we, we gathered together in his name that somebody expected something to happen. And so I started talking to the pastor and, and encouraging him a little bit. And then I, I eventually got him to go to a, a conference with me, him and his wife and a few other people. And they got filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, and, uh, and, and this was the most unbelievable thing. He gets up from his thing, and I watch him get done. And he goes and he kneels down, and somebody prays for him. He gets up, he comes back to his seat. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like he rolled on the floor and shook like a fish out of water. Uh, I mean, he just, it was nothing. Very, very, maybe shed a tear. And then we get back to the church, and I used to sit against the back wall and text, and um, because it was so boring, um, and and it was so shallow, and and I'm just you know so I just sit back there, and and all of a sudden I'm listening to him, and I'm listening, and I'm sitting back there, and I, and I'm texting, and I'm like. who is that? Who is that? And how could that happen? How could, how could that happen? How could he just go forward and get on his knees and somebody pray for him? And all of a sudden he's, it, he was, it was good. It was wonderful. It was anointed. I was like, unbelievable. And I called my friends that, at that church and I said, this is unbelievable. You know, and, and now they're all connected and the whole thing's really good and all that stuff. So, so anyway. So I'm back in. Now the church is, they're praying for the sick. They're casting out demons. They're, you know, the worshiping. They're, you know, I had a, I'd had a, I had a home group. My home group, um, had three, four 80 something year olds and one 90 year old, 91 year old lady, Mary. This, about this big. Um, and, and they would come to home group and we would go to the mission together. Now, in, in the desert there, you know, you would go uh, to the shopping center, the supermarket during the day, and it'd be crowded. But once it turned dark, they didn't come out. They stayed in, you know. And so, um, you know, they just didn't like to be out late at night. But these, these people in their 80s and 90s are going to the mission with me and packing lunches for these people. And it was just amazing. It was just, it was just the funnest and inc most incredible thing. And so anyway, so I'm back in. Now I'm back in, and then I go, all right, Lord, this is funny. Um, now you've sucked me back in. Um, I, said, I said, okay, Lord, if I'm back in, then I'm all in. And if I'm back in, 
We can't waste the pain. This has been so painful and so difficult and so crushing that we can't waste the pain. And I said, so you just take me and you just spend me however you want. Just wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll just do it. Because, because I, got, I got nothing, you know, to hold on to, you know. I, I just, and, but the cool thing is, is long story short, at that point, it's just starting to happen. Next thing you know, the Lord speaks to me. It's time for me to leave the desert. They send me. I go to this other church that has really high standards. And, um, but by this time, I was okay with that. And, and it was wonderful for me because they had such a great reputation. The fact that they embraced me, the fact that they gave me visibility, the fact that they honored me and showed me favor gave me credibility. And so it was a great gift from God for me to be with them. And then when it was time for me to go, which was just, you know, in December, they blessed me and sent me, and it was just a, a great honor. Um, so in all this time, this church that I'd been a part of, this movement that I'd been part of, I'd been disconnected from for 16 years. For 16 years, I was, for, for all intents and purposes, persona non grata within the vineyard. People used to talk to me, everybody that used to, you know, they just, you know, they were by this time friendly and nice and everything, but there was no real connection. So last July, now let me back up for a second. So, so if I go to that, that moment in my apartment, on my, in my deal where Jesus told me it was enough, from that point, that was 2004, this was 2012. So there was the Lord speaking to me, the Lord touching me, and then eight years for it to just work itself out, for me to go through a process. And, and, but, but I was going through a process with a whole different center. What I did didn't matter to me. I didn't care if I was sanding beams or preaching a sermon. I didn't care if I was leading worship or, or climbing ladders and painting walls way up in the air. It all was the same stuff. Because what I did wasn't who I was. Who I knew was what made me who I was. And, and it would change me. I mean, I, everything's just so different. And so, but my point is, it takes time. It does take time. You know, he comes suddenly, but then it gets worked out in a process. And, and um, you know, evangelicals love get enamored with the process, and uh, charismatics get enamored with the suddenly, but it's both and. It's both and. They work together. And, um, they, and, it, and it really works that way. So, uh, so anyway, so now... Now we're, we're in July of this 2013. I've been at this church. It's been a great thing. Uh, they've been a wonderful blessing in my life. They, they, they've just been so good. And so I'm, I'm way, I'm just in way better shape than I was in 2004. So, or, or many, all the years before that. And so all of a sudden I'm standing. I went to a vineyard conference. I went to the National Vineyard Conference because it was right down the street from my house. So I thought, ah, I'll show up. And it, was a little awkward for me because it was the church. It was in the church that I pastored, and I resigned from. So, but I showed up anyway, and I had a few friends there, and Ken Fish was one of them. You guys know him, and uh, I had some other friends there. And so, the last night, <coughs> and you guys were you were there. You you weren't there, were you? You were there. Um, and so, the last night of the conference, I'm standing there, and I'm just I'm just thrilled for my friends. I am I mean because it was electrifying. 
I mean, the Lord was there. The pastors and leaders were the most excited. I've seen them in 20 years. It was just, I'm, I'm standing there as their friend. And I'm standing there and I'm like, this is great. This is good. I am so blessed for my friends. And then the Lord spoke to me very, very clearly and said, this is your family and you'll spend the rest of your days with them. And I thought, well, you might want to speak to them too, Lord. Uh, so they've not been all that interested. And, uh, and then from that point until t today, um, I mean, two weeks later, I, uh, there was a vineyard pastor that asked me to come on their team and become one of their preaching pastors and equipping pastors and all that. So I joined that staff of that team. Uh, I went to a, a pastor's conference. I hadn't been invited to a pastor's conference in 16 years. And I went to this pastor's conference. There's about 100 pastors. Everybody knew me. Um, and I was a little bit conspicuous because, I, you know, I felt a little out of place and after all that time. And, but the first night, there, a guy had this word. He said, I have this vision. And I see a tree that has been cut down. And out of the center is a shoot coming up. And, uh, and he says, does anybody identify with that? And I, like, knew it was me. But I did what I do so often. I just sat there. I was like, I'm not, there's no way I'm standing up. You know, there's no way I'm going to, you know, expose myself at that level. So, so that happened. Next day I talked to the national director. Next day I talked to the regional overseer. They all just were really welcoming, really wanting me back in, not quite sure how to do it, but wanting me to be part. And so, so I'm like, okay, that's great. We'll just see what happens. So I go back to my cabin and I have a text from Carol Wimber. Now, Carol wasn't part of the, con the conference, didn't, you know, isn't attached to those things these days. It's, it's Job 14.7. There is a tree that has been cut down, and out of the middle of it, there's a shoot rising up. And I'm like going, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! And so then I go to Phil and I go to this other guy, I go, do I get a do-overs? Do I get a do-over? Can I, can I stand up tonight for any other word? You know, headaches, you know, anything? Uh, macaroni cheese, I'll stand up for anything. And so, uh, so I did that night and they all just piled on me and just loved on me and wonderful. And, and since that point, it's just been, I'm, I've been on a ride. I've just been sitting and I've just been taken forward, you know? I mean, this, this, this month I'll be in 20 something vineyards. Uh, speaking and leading worship and stuff probably 30-something times. You know, uh, I'll go home and preach. I'll go home and do, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable what God has done. And you know what's so awesome? Is, um, it hasn't changed anything inside of me. Because my identity is not in what I do. Now I love the vineyard because it's my family, it's my tribe, and I'm so thrilled to be home. Um, I'm very blessed by that. Uh, but they're my tribe. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are my family. And you're my family. And what God wants to do in us until he, until he can, until he can convince us that we belong, we're going to act like bastard children. 
my son was going to sleep. My son was at Sunday school one time. He's about 10 or 11, and we were coming home. And I'm, I'm, I'm about land to land here, so fear not. Um, we were coming home from church, and I said, how was Sunday school? And he said, good. And, and I said, well, why was it good? And he said, well, we prayed for each other. And I said, well, um, I said, what did you guys pray? And they said, we prayed about the lies that I didn't realize I was turning my back to you guys. Turn your back here. Um, uh, we prayed about the lies that the devil tells us. I said, does the devil tell you any lies? And he said, yeah. I said, well, what does he tell you? And he goes, late at night, just before I go to sleep, and we all know that moment, how vulnerable we are in that moment. He, he tells me that you and mommy don't love me as much as you love Zach and Mercy and so forth. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so they, they prayed for him. Of course, we prayed for him. But I, I thought about that. I thought, you know, the devil's not going to tell you that Jesus doesn't love you. He's just going to tell you he doesn't love you as much. He's just going to tell you that, you know, he's got the gift of miracles. You know, God loves him more than he loves you. You've just got the gift of, you know, hospitality. You know, so, you know, and we weigh ourselves by our gifts. And, you know, I... I have this here on my birthday. Um, my babies gave me this, what they call a man purse. So, and, uh, and so they gave this to me. And, and there is nothing on this planet that I own that I value more than this. I, I told my daughter the other day that I do this. I told her I get in front of people and I, and I, I hug it. She goes, you don't. I said, yeah, I do. And I tell them, I love it. I love it more than anything I have because of who gave it to me. So if you've got the gift of service, it's not, it's not, don't compare it to miracles or any other gift. It's, it's who gave it to you. That's what, that's what gives the value. It's who gave it to you. And that's, that what's, that's what gives value to our lives is that Jesus gave his life for us so that we could have his life. So that we could live as a child of God. And, and live in all the freedom and the privilege that that is. You know, I'm at the, what's your names? Uh, Kirk and Nicole's house. I'm kidding, I was kidding. I'm at Kirk and Nicole's house, and the first thing they do is they show me the food pantry, and they show me where everything is, and they tell me, you know, this and this and this, and, and just, just it's all yours. Take everything, anything you want. And, and I'm like, can I have a banana? You know, <laughs> they said, we told you you can have anything you want, you know. <laughs> and uh, But I noticed the kids don't act the same way. They go in and they just take whatever they want because they're children, and that's what children do. You know, I used to have to... I used to have to try to hide things, you know. I had six children, so I, I couldn't, I, they, I'd, come, I would, I'd be craving something at the house. I'd get home, gone. Locusts had eaten it, you know. So I finally found these cookies that taste like cardboard, and, uh, and, I, and they didn't like those. So that, I, I, I developed an appetite for them because I knew that they'd still be there when I got home. So, but anyway, but my kids, man, my kids, they don't, they don't, they don't ask before they get in the refrigerator and pull stuff out. Because they're children, and they know they're children. They know they're part of the family. And, and sometimes we're a little hesitant. 
is sometimes we're not convinced that we're part of the family. Because we've convinced, because the devil's told us that Jesus doesn't love us as much as somebody else. And I've told you a long, long story to really make just one simple point. And that's who we are is based on, our, the value in terms of who we are is based on who we know and who knows us and what he's done for us. And if we're operating out of any other platform, it will not sustain us. It will not hold us up. We can't make it without 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 knowledge of, of the heart of God, his, his, the, the knowledge of his heart towards us. There is no reservation on God's part. There is no reservation on his part. It's It's all yours. It's all yours. And we just have to accept it. And then when we do, then we can just do whatever we do. Then it's just what we do. But it's not who we are. Can I get the worship team back up? Are you even in here? Did you did you survive? There they are. There they are. Aren't they nice? Aren't they cute? <laughs> Not so much, huh? Well, she is. I don't know about the rest of those guys. Uh, we're just going to worship just a little bit, and and um, we're not going to drag this out. I'm just going to give you an opportunity to to just receive from the Lord. Just receive a gift from Him, a gift that will change the trajectory of your life. Um, if 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 by His Holy Spirit He can grant you a revelation of who the Son of God is and what He's done for you. It'll, it'll bring freedom to your life. It'll bring peace to your life. It'll bring joy to your life. It'll bring fullness to your life that you can never have serving our insecurities and our fears. And that's what the devil wants us to do is serve our insecurities and our fears. Amen? Let's just wait before the Lord a little bit, okay?